welcome all of you once again this morning. We are continuing our series, Modern Day Davids. Now you think about that, Modern Day Davids. And we have a special message, I believe, this morning, Conquering the Unconquerable. Found in 2 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, chapter 5, verses 1 to 3. As we look into our Bibles, we'll begin reading from 2 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. And it came to pass after this that David, notice please, inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. And David said, where shall I go up? And he said unto Hebron. So David went up thither, and his two wives also, him, the Jezreelite, and Abigail Nabal's wife, the Carmelite. And his men that were with him did David bring up every man with his household, and they dwelt in the cities of Hebron. And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed, notice please, anointed David king over the house of Judah. Notice Judah. And they told David, saying that the men of Jabesh-Gilead were they that buried Saul. In chapter 5, verses 1 to 3. And then came all the tribes of Israel. This is not Judah, this is Israel. They came all the tribes of Israel to David unto Hebron and spake, saying, Behold, we are all thy bone and thy flesh. We're all one here. Also in that time when Saul was king over us, thou wast he that led us out and brought us into Israel. And the Lord said to thee, Thou shalt feed my people Israel. Thou shalt be a captain over all of Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king to Hebron. And King David made a league with them in Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David king over Israel. Wow. All this anointing. All this different anointing. David had three separate anointing. Now just think about that for a moment. There's a great message there. But let's begin in our text. David is the new king of Judah in chapter 2. Finally after 14 long years of running as a fugitive. What took place in 1 Samuel chapter 16 when Samuel first anointed him to be king. He was just a boy. 16. Scholars tell us, 16 years of age, Samuel anointed him. We all know the story. Samuel went to Jesse, David's father's house, to anoint the king. He didn't know who he was. And finally, he sees David. He wasn't even presented to Samuel. His father takes him from the sheepfold, and presents him. And there, Samuel knew that this was the anointed one, and he's anointed at 16 years of age to be the king 
and he's just a boy. And immediately upon his anointing, he goes through severe persecution. Saul, the king, is after him, wants to kill him, wants to destroy him. And he's on the run 14 years. But now, after those long years, the reality of that anointing has come to pass. He was anointed, but that anointing did not crystallize, if you will, until 14 years later. There's a lesson there. There's a message there, and we'll get into it a little bit later on. This is what now has set David apart. He's been anointed. Be anointed. But you see, the truth is, friends, that there was something beyond the physical anointing of David. There was something in David that set him apart like no one. Although King Saul was taller and bigger, in fact, the Bible tells us that King Saul was a head taller than anyone else. He looked upon, and he had this physical stature, and people recognized something about Saul because of what he appeared to be. But David wasn't tall. He wasn't big. He was young, probably a little scrawny. But there was something about David that set him apart. And it was not physical. For Saul, it was physical. But for David, it was something internal. Something that couldn't be seen with the naked eye that set David apart more than anyone else. The fact that he had a contrite heart. The fact that he was a humble man. And the Bible tells us, this is the man whom I will look upon. He that has a contrite spirit. He that trembles at my word. You see, my friends, when he was given power, power never got to David's head. And we started this series because we tried to make a contrast between Gideon and David. And eventually, when Gideon received the power, when he became noticed and known as a great leader, something changed the heart of Gideon. But David never changed because his heart was humble. He was a contrite man. Power never got to him. You'll be amazed in life, my friends, men and women who receive power, if they're not careful, that power will destroy them. That power will deceive them. And we notice that God looked at David and God chose David for a different reason. In Psalm chapter 78, verses 70 to 72, we see why God chose David. This is the reason, chapter 78, it says, And God chose David also his servant and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the ewes great with young and brought him to feed Jacob his people and Israel his inheritance. So he fed them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. David was a man after God's heart and that alone is what separated David that alone your heart you see my friends when God measures a man he takes his measuring tape and he places it not around his head but around his heart
There are many great men who've got great minds, but they don't have great hearts. That's what God is looking for. He led them after the integrity of his heart. In fact, in 1 Samuel 18, we discussed that when David did certain things, Saul would notice and what he would be doing. And the Bible says in chapter 18, verse 4, and David behaved wisely. We notice four different times we notice, and David behaved wisely. Wisely. He didn't allow power to get to him. He didn't allow his fame to get to him. He didn't allow success to get to him. How many people have failed in success? How many people have allowed power to intoxicate them and deceive? There's nothing more intoxicating than power. David didn't allow it to pollute him as it did Gideon, as it did many, many others in the Bible and as it's doing today. This morning, we're going to look at the heart of David. We're going to see why David was such a great leader. Yes, he made his mistakes, but we're not going to focus on that this morning. We're going to look at the heart of David, what, what made him so effective, and how David's life can affect me today in the 21st century, that I can be a modern day David, although my goal is to follow Jesus and be like Jesus, we study Bible characters because practically it helps us to do things here on earth and to live lives here on earth in a way that, that signifies our relationship with God but also brings glory to God as we look at how this man operated day by day. That's why we study people in the Bible. How do they operate? What did they do? How can I apply that in my life today? How can I make the life of David or the life of Gideon or the life of anyone else that we study, how can we learn from their lives and apply it every day in my life in this day and age in which we live in? We don't study these men because we want to grow intellectually. We don't just want to look at them as some kind of historical person and what a great, great man he was, what a great woman she was, and look at all the great things that they did. I want to, I want to learn about these people so I can apply what they did in my life. Amen. What made them so great? And how can I walk in a way where I can make a difference in this world? What can I do? in this world that can truly touch lives and so we study these leaders and we study these leaders so we can become modern day Joseph's modern day David's modern day Hannah's that God is glorified through us so what did David do when he finally became king after 14 years of hell running for his life what did David finally do? Well, last time we met, when we discussed David, remember he was doing a funeral. King Saul had died. 
And the first thing we notice David at his funeral, he's giving the eulogy. Here is David, the king. He's now king. His arch enemy, Saul, has died. He's the king. He's at the funeral. He's giving the eulogy. And what did David do? The first thing, he's a king. The first thing, he, re he refuses to rejoice over his enemy's fall. He refuses to rejoice, refuse to mock Saul and say terrible things about his predecessor. We learned that modern day Davids do not execute vengeance. Modern day Davids do not rejoice with those who weep, uh, who, who re they, 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 they rejoice in a sense of they rejoice for the things that are good, not for the things that are bad. They don't look at something or a situation and say, ha, look what's happened to you. You got it coming. They don't rejoice that way. They don't operate that way. They don't take vengeance upon themselves. They trust God and they bless and they do what they can to do what Jesus said. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said to bless those that curse you. To pray for those who do you harm. We see David doing that. On the other side of the cross. We see David showing character and integrity. Because he was humble. He didn't rejoice over his enemies when they fell. That's so important. Because all of us have people that don't like us. All of us, whether we realize it, might have a few enemies. You, listen, you may not think so, but if you're a true believer, you're going to have an enemy anyway. Because you're not of this world. You're walking against the world. And if you're walking against the world, you can be sure somebody's going to oppose you. How do you treat your enemies? Modern day Davids bless their enemies. Modern day Davids do not rejoice when somebody falls. David gives a glorious eulogy, leaving lifted up King Saul. We learn this. Number two, what does David do after he becomes king? We're trying to glean principles. We're going to look into his life and see what he did. We may not all be kings, of course not. We're not all major leaders. In no, but we all are leaders by virtue of you being a believer. Every true believer becomes a leader at his home, at work, every true believer leads by example. So these principles are very important to you and me. Modern day Davids, do not rejoice when your enemies fall. Number two, I want you to notice what David does. We're going to go deeper this morning. He requested clear direction from God what to do now that he's king. Now that David is king, now that he's been promoted after 14 years of running, he is now the king of Judah. What does David do? And it came to pass after this that David inquired of the Lord saying, what should I do, Lord? See, David had understanding naturally, but he wasn't sure. He requested. He wanted to seek God. And here David sets a precedent of who he really is. David was a man after God's heart. One thing about David, there was two things about David that everybody, even the, even the ungodly know this of David, that David was a man of prayer and a man of worship. 
David always sought God in prayer, even, even if everything made sense. Even if he knew what to do, he still said, hold on a second, I got to inquire of God. What a life lesson for all of us. Friends, whatever you are about to do, I don't care what it is, whatever it is, especially if there's important decisions to be made, we must form a habit to always inquire of the Lord because things that you might be doing in your life or things that you might be directed to do naturally, things that might make sense to you, things that might look right to you, might be the very opposite of what God wants you to do. I know that Hebron was the choice to go. David knew that, but he still wanted to pray to make sure. Modern day Davids and modern day Davidettes, what they do is they always seek God first, no matter what the situation is. David did that his whole life. Now he did fall back on occasion and that's when he got a little dry and we know that but that's not part of this message. That's another sermon. But David inquired of the Lord. He constantly did that. He never rushed to Hebron. He waited on God. He waited on God. He inquired of the Lord. Should I go up? Should I stay? Should I go here? Should I do that? You see, David was unwilling to take one step without his guidance. Even if it appeared to be exactly what he was supposed to do, it didn't matter. And I knew this of David, and I've tried to inquire this in my own life, and I can tell you, brothers and sisters, there are times that when I had a decision to make, and a place maybe to go or to do, that seemed so right things in my life that came up and you heard my testimony last week things that I seemed like I should do but when I inquired of the Lord I got a completely different direction never make a decision because it looks good never make a decision because it tastes good never make a decision only maybe we can underscore that because it seems right because there's an undercurrent that you may not see or feel that God is very well aware of that you're not aware of that's why the Bible says his ways are not your ways his thoughts are not your thoughts and so he inquired he waited on God and we don't see much of that today so refreshing when you find someone and see someone who's praying and seeking God and putting him first, he waits, waits on God to give him the direction that he needed. And he wrote many psalms concerning that. In Psalm 32, 8, David says, He will instruct me and guide me in the way I shall go. He will instruct me and he will guide me. David writes about this instruction and this guidance everywhere. He speaks of this. And so God told him to go to Hebron. And you've heard me say this, and I want to say it again, because I haven't said it in a long time. I have a certain motto here, and this is what it is, and you might want to write it down for yourselves. Write your plans down in pencil, <laughs> and give God the eraser. How many times have you heard me say that? I mean, some of you new folk haven't, but 
write your plans down in pencil not ink write them in pencil and say God here's the eraser because you're in charge if you don't want me to do this then you, get, then you, you take the eraser and you erase it and put down where you want me to go what you want me to do write your plans down in pencil and give God the eraser that's what David did that's what modern day Davids do I love Psalm 123 verses 1 to 2 Psalm 123 verses 1 to 2 a powerful psalm we don't, we don't read this much we don't see I've never really heard a sermon from this text but it goes like this unto, the, uh, it says, unto thee lift up my eyes O thou that dwellest in the heavens behold as the eyes of servants look unto the hand of their masters and as the eyes of the maidens unto the hand of their mistresses so our eyes wait upon the Lord our God until he has mercy until he directs until he guides David understood this my eyes are going to be on you Lord for guidance for direction wow modern day David's put God first not their feelings not their emotions not their own wants either Well, this is what I want to do. Fine. Modern day David says, well, you might want to do it. Let's just see what God has to say about it. That's, you might say, amen, it's wonderful. But you know what? To actually do that is a completely different situation. Because let's face it, brothers and sisters. We like to do what we want to do. And we can spiritualize that to no end. But modern day Davids are more concerned what God wants to be done rather than what self wants to be done. And I tell you, and I, I, the, your greatest enemy is not the devil. Your greatest enemy is you. And what I mean by that is it is very difficult to die to self. It's a journey. So when we say amen, we say amen, yes, whatever God wants. But let me tell you something. It takes years in God's furnace for self to bend many, many times. Because self is very strong. Self is not easily broken. God put Moses 40 years in the desert to break self. Look what God had to do for Jonah to break self. Peter to break self. Jacob! Years to break self. So when we say, oh yes, God's will be done, not my will. Well, we can say that very easily, but do we do it? Oh friends, it's, 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 a, it, it's a complete surrender. Why do you think Jesus said, if any man wants to follow me, let him first, what? Deny himself. Can pick up, you need to be breaking. David was broken. He, he's gone through hell. 14 years running from Saul 
going from one cave to the next God was breaking him melting him to get to this place see he learned in the fields he learned in the wilderness one of the greatest scriptures is found in Isaiah 64 4 the Lord works on behalf of those who wait upon him did you know that he were, you would spend a lot less energy going all over the place if you just waited on God I know some pastors men, and ministers they just go crazy all over the place running here going there all this energy if they would just wait on God more they'd be running less I'm telling you the truth God has great things prepared for you that wait on him Amen. when you wait on God you're trusting God Amen. when you're waiting on God you depend on God when you're running around in your own strength you're depending on yourself You'll be amazed how many people say they wait on God, but they're trusting in themselves because they're always going around trying to fix this, do that, do this. Good. You need to try to do your best to work things out. But let me tell you something. When you really think about it, you put more emphasis on your ability to work something out on your strength and your ability to discern things and do things than waiting on God. How do I know that? Because you spend more time running around doing it than you are in prayer. That's how I know. Amen. Listen, folks, there's some things that you can't fix. Okay? You've got to trust God. Can you imagine if you tried to fix the problem when Joseph was cast into the pit by his brothers? <gasps> Joseph's in the pit. Oh, no, I've got to rescue Joseph. He didn't do anything. And you went to rescue Joseph trying to fix the problem and the truth is God wanted him in there God wanted him in there because if he didn't end up in that pit he would have never end up in prison and if he didn't end up in prison he would have never ended up in the palace listen folks some problems take place because God has designed it that way for something to be learned and you can't fix it you got to trust God. Wait on Him. Oh, Pastor, but you don't know how my husband is and you don't know what my wife did and my son. Listen, I'm not saying to stay in the corner and be a recluse. Certainly, we got to work things out. But what I'm talking about is you can't force or manipulate anything. You've got to trust God that He will work it out. And it isn't easy. To let go and to let God, is it? But that's where your faith will be tested. They that wait upon the Lord shall what? And they will what? They will mount up like wings. So not only will your strength be renewed, but you're going to fly. There's going to be a refreshing, a special touch. As you wait on God, something powerful takes place, my friends. Something powerful. And so David refused to rejoice 
he requests a clear direction should I go to Hebron what should I do oh how we need that today how we need that today more than ever before then number three what does David do he receives a fresh anointing he receives a fresh anointing I, I mentioned that when I read the scriptures earlier because it's, this is so important David listen so important and I don't know who I'm speaking to. This is so, so, so important. Okay, Lord, I got it. But I mean, uh, I didn't realize it was that important. <laughs> uh, wow, what happened there? Okay. That's pretty, pretty incredible. I'm afraid to speak. <laughs> but this is absolutely I'm, I'm speaking to all the modern day Davids this morning and Davidettes listen very carefully no past blessing secures a present one no past anointing secures a present one what does that mean how many times was David anointed anybody know three different times for the same thing what Hold on, Pastor. I mean, I, I, I was ordained in 1928, wasn't I? I, I? I got filled with the Holy Ghost in 1936. Yeah? Wonderful. When's the next one? What? Stay with me. David was anointed in 1 Samuel 16, at the age of 16, to be anointed king. 14 years later, he goes, we just met my text, to Hebron. Look what the Bible says. And the men of Judah came. There they anointed David king over the house but I thought he was anointed yeah 14 years later he gets another anointing for the same reason the same purpose and then in chapter 5 George verses uh, 1 I believe 3 David gets anointed again to be king over Israel anointed by Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, anointed to be king over Hebron, 2 Samuel chapter 3, and in 2 Samuel chapter 5, David is anointed king over Israel. Three different anointings. Oh, do I see something here. Well, Pastor, I was anointed by Samuel in 1 Samuel. I don't need any. I don't want that. I don't need to be anointed again. Well, Pastor, you know, I, when I graduated from Bible college, they prayed for me and I went and, uh, you know, the elders, I, I, you know, what else do I need? I'm, I'm fine. But you know, I went to the prayer meeting three years ago and we had that all night prayer meeting and it was, you know, the presence of God and they prayed for me and I just, you know, do I have to go through that again? I remember I was at a service, Pastor, years ago, and I was at the altar, and, and I felt the Holy Ghost come to my life, and something happened to me, and I began to speak in tongues, and, and oh, Pastor, it was just great. I don't need that. It's great. I have to go through that again, do I? David was anointed three different times for a reason. There was a purpose for it. He needed that 
desperately. Life lesson number two. Are you ready for this? God gives us, and when he does, a new, when he gives us a new assignment, whatever that is. When God gives us a new assignment, when you are on the precipice of something, if God is calling and you know to do something, you're about to do something, you don't know exactly what it is, but you know that God has called you to do something, there's a new assignment. Friends, if you're in that situation, then that new assignment must be received with a fresh anointing. I don't care if you've been in the ministry for 100 years. When I was in Brantford, I preached in the church, I was asked to go to India and to preach, to do a crusade, missions work. I remember I called the elders and I said, listen, I want you to anoint me with oil for this new assignment. Remember distinctly. When I went to Pakistan, I asked the elders to do the same thing, having this scripture in mind. What am I saying? This was a new assignment for me. This is not pastoring Brantford Church. I'm going to India to preach the gospel where there's new challenges, new demons, different strongholds. I better have a fresh anointing on my life. And let me tell you, I'm glad I did because when I went to India, I dealt with things I've never dealt with in my entire ministry. I dealt with strongholds I've never experienced. I literally saw them. I dealt with people possessed with demons that were so, so horrific. I needed a fresh anointing. And boy was I glad because over 400 people got saved and seven new churches were established. Could never do that without a fresh anointing. Every new assignment when God calls you to do something, although you might have been anointed, that new assignment needs a fresh anointing. So let's bring it to the 20. Let's bring it to our common life. What about us? Why is it that you dry up? Why is it that we have a tendency of drying up as believers? Why is it that we have a tendency of getting cold? Why? Why do you think the Bible says in Ephesians 5.18? Are you ready for this? Be ye filled with the Spirit of God. Do not be drunk with wine, words in excess, but be filled. You know what, George, Paula, can you take me to verse 17? Let's go a little deeper. Let's go to verse 17 first. A little bit of a Bible study. Look at verse 17. Can you get me there? Okay, I'll quote it for you. Knowing therefore the will of the Lord. Knowing therefore, here, wherefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand, watch this now, understand what the will of the Lord is. Okay, so what is it you want me to understand, Lord? What is it? I'll tell you what I want you to understand, says the Lord. Verse 18, are you ready for this? Here it is. Verse 18, don't be drunk with wine. Oh boy, and all my Italian friends take off to the hills. I'm just having fun, I'm part Italian. So. But be not drunk with wine, where is his excess? Don't be drunk with wine. But if you're going to be drunk, if you're going to be filled with the spirit of wine, so to speak, rather be filled with the spirit of God. Don't be filled with the spirit of wine. Be filled with the spirit. So God's will is that I'm filled with the spirit of God. That's, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. 
Here's the key. This is not written in the emphatic. It's written in the present participle. What it means is, keep on being filled. Do you understand? You know why you get dry? You know why you get calloused? You know why you lose your fire? Because you're not being filled with the Spirit of God on a regular basis. Happens to me, and it happens to you. Keep on, the Greek is, keep on being filled. Keep on. So if I got filled once, isn't that enough? No! Keep on being filled. Well, I've been to the altar, Pastor. Keep on going to the altar. And everyone said, okay. Keep on going to prayer meetings. Keep on seeking God. Keep on reading his word. Keep on gathering together and not forsaking the assembly of believers. Keep on. Keep on keeping on. That's what it means. David was anointed three times. Keep on keeping on. Same thing. I can't minister without the anointing. The problem is many of us try to do so. You get shocked why some pastors have backslidden. We get shocked why these big names fall off, have affairs. Another one on the news the other day, I won't mention his name. It doesn't stop, doesn't stop. This preacher, that minister, this board member, that, what's going, I'll tell you why. They stopped getting filled with the Spirit of God. That's why. Their ministry became professional. Oh, I'm a professional pastor now. I've done it so. And so they don't need God. They've done it so. I don't need to be anointed again. I've done it. Modern day Davids recognize that without the anointing, they are nothing. They need God to equip them, to strengthen him. You see, friends, to keep a lamp burning, you have to keep putting oil in it. My God. And it's not someone else's oil. You got to get your own oil. I keep saying that over and over again. It's not someone else's armor, David. You understand that, David? Because you didn't want Saul's armor. I like that about you, David. David didn't want Saul's armor. It didn't fit. You can't use Saul's armor to do what God's called you to do. Saul's armor belonged to Saul, not you. In other words, you can't ride on someone else's anointing. You can't try to pretend to be like somebody. Oh, I wish I, you know, we have people trying to be like other pastors, other ministers. It doesn't work that way. You got to get your own oil, your own armor. I can never be you and you can never be me. I got to get my own, my own fresh anointing from God. I can be an example to you. 
You can be an example to me, but I can't be you. I can't try to be you by how I comb my hair and how I... I was... I remember when... Uh, I used to follow... I really enjoyed the vineyard music years ago. I still do, but I used to... You know, and I remember that, that they would come and minister, the, uh, this group, the group from the vineyard from Anaheim, and they would have their hair coming with the guitars, and they'd have their hair in ponytails, you know, whatever, you know. And so... And, and, but they have and tremendous music. And then I would notice that other musicians started to wear their hair in ponytails and started wearing jeans that were little skinny jeans, you know. And they were saying, and kind of wear shirts that were kind of, you know, plaid. And they were trying to dress like these musicians were dressing because they figured, oh, well, if I look like them, maybe I can minister like them. Excuse me! If it's because you wear their suit or their clothing, you're going to have the anointing? What? You don't get the anointing because you dress like someone else. You get the anointing on your face before God. Crying out to God, waiting on God. You can't buy the anointing. You can't manipulate the anointing. David inquired of the Lord over and over again. It's the key to a fruitful ministry. Otherwise, it's going to get stale. Too many pastors do the same thing they've done for 50 years. What is it you want me to do, Lord? I need a fresh anointing. Is there something you want me to do? Is there somewhere you want? It's got to be fresh. When God gave manna to the Israelites, can you, did he give them all one big loaf at a time? He told them to get the manna each and every day. And if you want to get a little greedy and you wanted some more manna, if you did that, be careful because it would stink on you. It would get moldy. Don't every day. You see, friends, that concept is what modern day Davids do. They get fresh manna every day. Fresh oil every day. That's what keeps the fire burning. Keeps your life flowing. Number four. So David did not rejoice over his enemies. He requests a clear direction. He receives a fresh anointing. Number four. Then what a modern day David would do. He repaid the debt that he did not owe. He repaid a debt that he did not owe. Kind of reminds me of that hymn. He paid a debt. Son, who my sins away? A brand new song, amazing. 
debt. Jesus paid the debt. David is a picture of Jesus. He is. Remember, Jesus comes from his lineage. Why David? I know he made mistakes. I know that. Why David? Notice what David does. The backdrop, when Saul died, the Philistines cut off his head. The Bible tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 31. And they took their bodies, Saul and his son Jonathan, and they hung them on the walls to make sport, the King James says, to make fun of him. We all know the story. We, when he committed suicide, he fell on his sword. They, the Philistines, to make fun of Saul, to make fun of the Israelites, they took him to the, a certain walls. And we visited these walls when we, when we went to visit Israel our first time in Beth Shan. That's where they hung the wall, uh, uh, Saul's body, on these walls to make fun of him. And we visited this place. Uh, when we went to Israel and maybe we're going to visit again when we go in the future but this is an actual place they took Saul's body and they hung it on the wall to make fun of him ha ha look the great man of God look the great king of Israel oh look 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 at his fate look what he's done they made fun of him and as this was going on the Bible tells us a group of men heard of this and they went to the place and took them down took down their bodies and they burned their bodies with fire for a reason see they didn't want the enemies of God to make fun of the man of God or the king didn't want the enemies of God to make fun to mock ultimately mocking God you see they ultimately were mocking God and they burnt the bodies so that would stop that from happening it was a great testimony so that the testimony of God would not be dragged into the dirt and in chapter 2 verse 5 David hears of this and I don't have time to get into the story but David goes back he goes back and takes care of these men he repays he pays them a visit he goes back to these men that risk their they risk their lives really in a sense for God's testimony they risked their lives and David goes back I don't have time to expand you can read it yourself and he says hey guys thank you so much I'm so grateful you did this he says and he gives them something and he was so grateful that they risked their lives for the testimony of Saul even though his testimony wasn't strong at all but really ultimately for the glory of God and he blesses them he says thank you so much and you need to understand friends that kings never did that a king would never stoop down to that a king never stooped down to his subjects his subjects stooped to the king his subjects would honor the king his subjects will say thank you to the king the king very the king was not known to even say thank you I'm just giving you some history the king never even showed appreciation it was your duty if you're a king and you had subjects you don't say thank you to your subjects they're supposed to do it I'm the king you cater to me but David did the opposite David did what was uncommon he goes and he says thank you so much for what you did he honors them and blesses them he honored King Saul who wanted to kill him 
Now he's honoring these men who are really pro-Saul, to be honest with you. But he honors them. Blesses them. And he did what very few people would do. David paid a debt to Saul, a debt he didn't owe, a debt for the kingdom, a type of Christ who died for me and paid my debt that I owed. He took it upon himself. Modern day Davids will do their best to help you out. Modern day Davids will do what they can to cause something to take place that can help you. And maybe if it's not even your debt, but you still bear it to help that person out. Number five, David relied on God to establish his kingdom. Here's a big one. David relied on God to establish his kingdom. The very opposite of so many kings during that era. For example, 2 Chronicles chapter 16 verse 7. We, we look at Asa. Asa was a great king. Asa even experienced a mighty revival. But something happened to Asa. Look what it says. And at the time Hanani the seer came to King Asa of Judah and said unto him, Because thou hast relied on the king of Syria, excuse me, king of Syria, and not relied on the Lord thy God, therefore is the host of the king of Syria will come and attack you, and you will not escape from his hand. And that's exactly what happened. Here is King Asa who first relied on God, trusted in God, God established his kingdom, and now over a period of time, he got prosperous, God blessed him, it got to his head, like King Uzziah, like Gideon, and he fell by the wayside, and now he's not relying on God anymore, he's starting to rely on man, on the king of Syria. He put his confidence in man. How in the world can you make that happen? So you're trusting in God. God is blessing you, Asa. Look what's happening. And now, what do you? He's made you not. He's he made you famous. And now, and now you're trusting in man. What happened to you? I'll tell you what happened to him. Power got to his head. Nothing more intoxicating than power. And now he's trusting in man. Wow. Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, Jeremiah 17, who makes arm his flesh. He relied, the Bible says, on the king of Syria. And that's a terrible thing to do. Now watch this, important, one of Saul's sons, the Bible tells us, should have been king, 2 Samuel chapter 2, verses 8 to 10, that was proper protocol. Saul's son should have replaced him, not David. When Saul died, his son should replace him. That's protocol. And a division took place, and I'm just fast forwarding, because I don't have time to expand on this. And so they have this scrimmage going on in 2 Samuel chapter 8 verse 10 and verses 14 to 16. 
two camps. They came went out to discuss their differences. You got the camp of Saul and the camp of David. You have the camp of Saul that says, no, wait a minute. Somebody from Saul's line needs to be king. And then you got the camp from David saying, no, 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 David's been anointed. God chose him. And so there's a big battle going on. And they chose 12 representatives. These 24 men would fight and whoever wins the battle, the king would come from that group. Very similar to David and Goliath. Remember that? You had the Philistines and you had Israel and a champion of the Philistines would fight the champion of Israel. Remember that? And whoever won would win the battle. We see a similar story here. 12 representatives from the camp of David and 12 from Saul. 24 in all. But unfortunately, what we see here in the text, all 24 got killed. They all grabbed each other by the beard and by the head with a sword and they killed each other. Can you imagine that? And it became a total cancellation. Again, you'll find it in the Bible. You can read it for yourselves. And after this, Saul's army becomes no match for Joab's army. Joab was the general of, of David's army. And in verse 30 of chapter 2, and verse, it says, And even though David had only 19 men, Saul, in verse 31, had 360 of Saul's men. They all died. And they got weaker and weaker and weaker. David got stronger and stronger and stronger. 2 Samuel chapter 3 verse 1 says David got stronger. He had less men. But Saul's army got weaker and weaker. Something was happening here. What is the point of all this? Even after David was anointed king, you don't see David aggressively trying to destroy the opposition. Wait a minute, David could have said. God told me. I was anointed. Twice. You don't see David pushing his agenda. Well, I, you know, I'm the man. I, I, you know, I lead this prayer meeting. I lead this uh, Sunday school. I lead the, I'm the one. What, what do you, don't see him doing that. You don't see him pushing his agenda. You see him humbly waiting and trusting God. You don't see him forcing anything, manipulating anything. Leaders have a tendency of manipulating because they're leaders. It's just a natural tendency. I understand that. I do. Try to use your authority to manipulate or to force things to happen. David never did that. When you trust God, you don't manipulate. When you trust God, you don't take vengeance. When you trust God, you don't force. David believed. And he let everything in God's hands. That's what it means to rely on God. Saul did the opposite. He never forced. His trust was in the Lord. And that's the hardest thing, isn't it? And all these men in the past did the opposite. You see, David recognized that all of his promotion comes from God. What does the Bible say in 1 Corinthians 3? Some plant, some water, but what? God gives the increase. Listen, friends, you don't give increase. I don't care how smart you are, how talented you are, 
how well equipped you are, how eloquent you are, how gracious you are, how smart, how this. You might be all that, but it's God who gives the increase. You don't give increase. You can plant, you can water, but only God is the one who promotes. So you got to stop pushing, scratching, fighting, kicking, yelling, trying to get your way. It does. God is the one who promotes. If God doesn't promote you, you won't get promoted. If it's not God's will, it's just not going to happen. So you better trust God because you can kick all you want till all your toes are black and blue and you break a few of them. It won't make a difference. David understood that. We fight not against flesh and blood. What? what I'm not. I can't fight against my brother. There's a battle out there. It's a spiritual battle. I gotta trust God here. I can't force things. Stop forcing things. It's not gonna go anywhere. Second Samuel chapter 5 verse 12. I want you to see what happens. Second Samuel chapter 5 verse 12. The Bible says that David, rec- look at, and David perceived that the Lord had, a, hallelujah, had established him king over Israel. Of course, look what happened. And that he exalted his kingdom for his people, Israel. David saw how God was working it out. He started to read, look, I'm just a little kid. I was rejected by my father. He wasn't even willing to take me to be counted when Samuel came to anoint the next king. Look at Saul. He wanted to kill me. Oh, I was running from Saul. I could have been killed. My wife was against me. If he's against me, he was against me. She was against me. I had all the odds against me, but somehow here I am. How can it be? Because God made a way when there seemed to be no way. That's why. He recognized it. Humility will recognize God. Pride in self-containment and arrogance says, wait a minute. I had something to do with this, didn't I? My sufficiency is in him alone. I can do nothing without him, John chapter 15. Nothing. That's what, that's what the Bible says. I can't even breathe without him, let alone pastor a church (sighs) number six and I close with this last point so David didn't rejoice over his enemies he requested clear direction he received a fresh anointing he repaid the debts that he didn't know he relied on God for everything and then David remembered oh here it is now oh David is a man of what integrity he remembered the promise he made to Jonathan Does anybody remember the promise David made to Jonathan? How many remember? Can someone tell me what promise he made? Does anybody know? Do I have any Bible scholars here? One? Yes? One scholar. 
Yes, I'm just kidding. You remember what, what did David? Jonathan and David. I wish I had time to expand on it, but my time is gone. Jonathan and David had a discussion one day, and we see this in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 13 and following. They have a discussion, and uh, he made a promise to Jonathan. Isn't it amazing that politicians will always make promises before they're elected, and once they're elected, the promises don't exist anymore? <laughs> Anybody, uh, is that just me, or have I ever heard that? Have you ever heard it? Well, I promised, and I'm going to, and I promised the gas, and I promised the wages, and I get more jobs, and, and all of a sudden, the very opposite takes place. Literally, very the opposite takes place. David made a promise. Modern day Davids keep their promise. Yes, I'm going to do it. Do it. Well, tomorrow I'm going to do it. I will do it. Do it. I know sometimes things can happen where it might be delayed, but by and large, the promises you make are kept. He made a promise to Jonathan in 1 Samuel chapter 20. They were very close friends, and one day they were talking. Jonathan's concerned about his safety. Jonathan knows that he won't be king. He knew that in the spirit. God spoke to them. He knew that David was the king. Verse 14, 15, he gives him a robe, puts it over David. You're the next king. Jonathan says, look, David, when I die, here it is. Please don't destroy my family. I know it's customary for the king to destroy those that threaten him. The king to destroy his enemies. The king to get rid of potential threats. That was proper protocol. Oh, you know, in Rome, the emperors, when they became emperor, they killed all the other potential emperors. Do you know that? All their families, their wives, even their children. Protocol. Remember a covenant I make with you, David. Please don't kill my family. Huh. And this took place while David was running from Saul. Wow. And David says, no problem. I'm going to keep that promise. I will take care of your children. And in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4, Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth, lame, a five-year-old boy. When Jonathan was killed, the nurse found out and she wanted to take him to safety and she had an accident. She slips and falls and Mephibosheth falls and caused him to be crippled. And what's interesting, we see David keeping his promise in one of the greatest stories in the entire Bible, one of my favorite chapters, and I've preached on this many, most of my ministry. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, when David goes to Lobidar, a place of, it's like Skid Row, a place, Lobidar was like, like, like a hood, you know, a, 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 an enclave of, of people that have like, uh, had really nothing going for them. Underprivileged. Underprivileged. Any other things you want to say? <laughs> Underprivileged. Uh, you know, skid Row, if you will. I, I, whatever you want to say. Lobidar. A place of, really, one scholar said, a place of where outcasts would go. There was Mephibosheth. David goes to the place of outcasts like Jesus would go. David is a type of Christ. So he goes to Lobudar. Jesus went to Lobudar when God sent him here on earth. <laughs> he says, Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come to David, he fell on his face at the reverence, and David said, Mephibosheth, 
says, I'm your servant, David. Keep going. Verse 7. David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, my father's sake. And I will restore thee all the land of Saul, thy father, and thou shalt eat bread. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to restore the man that wanted to kill me. The man that wanted me out. I'm going to restore. That's right. 14 years I've been running from him. I'm going to bless you, Mephibosheth. Your grandfather wanted to kill me, but I'm going to bless you. I loved your dad. Your dad was a good man. I made a covenant and I'm keeping my word. I will bring you into the palace. I will take you out of Lobidar. I will take you from that state of crippleness. I will take you from that state of destruction and debauchery. I will take you out of, and I will bring you into the palace. That's exactly what Jesus did when he took us all out of our debauched state and bring us into the place called glory. You see, David kept his promise. He didn't have to. Mephibosheth, a cripple? It was Jesus who left the 99 to go rescue the Mephibosheth, didn't he? And guess what? We are all Mephibosheths. We are all Mephibosheths. Crippled with sin. Jesus came. He paid a debt. Did not owe. He did not owe. David's paying a debt again. Modern day Davids don't hold grudges. Modern day Davids go the extra mile. Kept his word because he's a man of integrity. People of integrity keep their word you see friends what you are behind the scenes is who you really are whatever takes place in the private will be seen in the public eventually Because the secret of being a saint is being a saint in secret. The secret of being a saint is being a saint in secret. When you're a man of integrity, what you do behind closed doors will be pure. You keep your word. You do what is right, whether man are looking at you or man is... Saul is gone. Jonathan is gone. They're dead. He didn't have to keep his word. He didn't have to do all that. But he did it because he's a man of integrity. Character. And what is the result? Second Samuel chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. David reigned 40 years in all. 40 years. You see, friends, God promoted him. God was responsible for his promotion, not David. Even though David was a good man, he still wasn't responsible. You know, there's good men that don't go anywhere in life because they don't trust in God, they trust in their own goodness. It doesn't go anywhere. Psalm 75, promotion comes from God. Stop trying to promote yourselves. It doesn't go anywhere. It just doesn't work. 
It might work temporarily, but eventually the oil will rise and truth will prevail and reality sets in. Everything David was because of God. And he understood that. The truth, in contrast, Gideon. Everything Gideon experienced was strictly because of God. 300 men who didn't even know how to fight destroyed 135,000 Midianites. Gideon, who said, I'm the least in the tribe of Manasseh. Gideon had such incredible success not because of his own, because what God did, but when push came to shove, Gideon didn't trust God when God promoted him. That's why he fell. He wasn't even remembered when he died. Why do we still remember David? Why is David, in the Old Testament, the name that is mentioned more than any other name in the Bible is King David? Why? Because David was a man after God's heart. That's why. Only. And God lifted him up and blessed him. And so it can be for you and me. See, God hasn't changed. If you're a man, a woman after God's heart, God will do the very same thing he did for David for you. What do we learn by application? During David's lean years, as he was running from Saul, God was working in him. In his lean years, God was working in David's heart, in the fields, in the caves, in the desert. God was preparing him. Like some of you, God is preparing you. Like some of you, you're in a cave. Like some of you, you might be running from something. God is preparing you. God is dealing with you. But you see, here it is. Before there's promotion, before there's promotion, before there's promotion, before David got promoted, there was preparation. And God was preparing David for promotion. And that's what he's doing in your life. And that's what he does in my life. He's preparing you. And it's not easy to be prepared. There's a lot of pain and stretching when you're being prepared. There's a lot of, there's a lot of burning and melting when you're being pay, prepared. There's a lot of chiseling when you're being prepared. And David was being chiseled and being melted down for 14 long years. And finally... Something took place. I want to close. I got to close. I got to close. Before there is promotion, there must be preparation. And here's where most people lose it. It's not the promotion stage. We all love the promotion stage. What we don't like is the preparation stage. We want the product. We don't like the process. So give me the product right away. But God is more concerned about the process. But unfortunately, that's where people miss it. The process. The deserts. The wilderness. The caves. The pits. That's the preparation stage that we don't want to be a part of. But without the pits and the caves, there's no castle. Without the doghouse, there's no penthouse. True story. Close. Back in the day, there were two ways that 
the refining process took place when it came to metals and stones. When you wanted to polish stones back in the day, you would take stones, precious stones, whether rubies, jade, whatever, whatever they were, and you put them in some conveyor belt. And there was like a sandpaper kind of texture in the middle of this conveyor belt. And these stones would go round and round and round for hours on this conveyor belt. These stones were not smooth at all. They were rough edged. And over a period of time after, maybe I would say even days, I don't know exactly how long it took, eventually the person running this particular contraption would stop the machine and would take the stone and would feel it out and it would seem very smooth and it would seem that the process was over and it was to some degree the rough edges were smoothed out by the sandpaper that was rough and tough and caused the edges to be smooth but it wasn't over yet he let it go continually until he picked up that stone whatever it was and was able to see some kind of reflection on that stone of his face which we segue into Psalm 66 Psalm 66 verse 10 David speaks of this process but it's a furnace and what furnaces would do is this for God has proved us thou has tried us as silver is tried a silversmith would take silver back in the day and put it in this huge furnace and raise up the heat and they would put in this silver and they would have a skimmer they called it and they would lift off all the impurities that would rise to the surface as they were melting down the silver so that the silver can get pure and he would do this over and over again just like the stones going round and round that conveyor belt and he would do it over and over again the silver was being tried tested in this furnace of heat and finally the silversmith will get on some kind of ladder of sorts, looked into the furnace because it was big, and he would look into the furnace, and he knew the purification process was done when he was able to see his reflection within the, the silver and the liquid. Preparation. The stones in the conveyor belt, the silver in the furnace, heat, sandpaper, process of preparation. So that what? So that the reflection of Christ is seen in your life. That's why we go through the furnaces. That's why we go through the conveyor belt called life. Rough edges being polished. Silver being melted down. Before there's promotion, there must be preparation. That's what David went through. And that's what every modern day David is going through. And I know that some of you are going through that right now. Hold on! It's not over yet. Hold on!
Jesus is about to be seen in you. Can you all stand together, please? Hallelujah.